HR professionals, safeguard your business from compliance risks. AIMHR Solutions offers crucial compliance audit services tailored to your needs. Led by expert consultants, our audits ensure full compliance with federal and state laws and regulations. We provide a roadmap for your business's future with detailed reports pinpointing strengths and areas for improvement. Save time, money, and mitigate risk with our expertise. Constantly evolving laws and limited HR staff can leave you vulnerable to fines and lawsuits. Protect your business. Schedule your audit now at aimhrsolutions.com. Welcome to Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR from AIM HR Solutions on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and this week we're exploring the importance of mental health and well-being in our professional lives. Our own Jen Moff and Jillian Derby join me to talk about their experiences and valuable insights on creating a supportive and compassionate work environment. Welcome, everybody. Thrilled you are all here. Jen Moff, Jillian Derby, welcome back. One more week, more lessons to learn. Oh, Pete, Pete, Pete. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> oh, I love podcasting with you guys. And today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics. Once again, we, we, we're sort of in the middle of a brief ongoing series on mental health in the workplace. And I, I wonder if we could start with a little bit of a history lesson. Um, so I'll, I'll kick it to you first, Jen. When? When did we start thinking about the value of work-life balance and workplace mental health safety? When did that become important? Because it it certainly is in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. You know, if you ask different people this question, I'm sure you're going to get completely different answers as well. You know, some people might say, well, it's because of the pandemic. We've really seen the need because of the pandemic. And that might have been kind of the, the most overt recent major event or catalyst, but I personally would argue it's been brewing for years mm -hmm. prior to that. Some people could argue that it stems from millennials and their personal feelings about it and their growth path and what they want out of a workplace and what they want for their lives. Um, but, you know, with, with all things, it, it's there's no one clear answer, but what we are seeing is like a snowball at the top of a mountain, rolling downhill, it's gathering steam, it's getting bigger and bigger, it's gaining speed, and it can't be ignored. Why does it matter that we create a, a culture of, you know, all the things, open communication and flexible schedules and psychological safety uh, at work? Like, why Why does it matter? In my opinion, you know, and, and take this for what it's worth, I personally think that it has to do with the fact that we're learning more and more over time. Like technologically, if we if we look at that in the last 50 years, we've had the most growth that we've ever had. And, and that same kind of learning can be paralleled in many other industries and um, areas of exploratory learning, mental health being one of them. So when I think about stereotypical, and I'm using air quotes here, mm -hmm. um, stereotypical ideas of what a workplace should look like. Again, should is in air quotes too. So many air quotes. Listeners, yes, I, I can verify <laughs> she is on camera using air quotes. The 
older kind of frame of thinking, you know, when the industrial revolution happened was, oh, we have a way to automate, we have a way to standardize, we have a way to guarantee certain things. And that took people out of the farms, out of doing things of of their own creative skill set, and guaranteed certain types of work. But in order for things to be financially valid and valuable, there had to be structure, there had to be process put in place. And that was the tipping point of people disconnecting from themselves and becoming more part of a machine. And that could only last for so long before this robotic kind of check your personal life at the door mentality at work is no longer sustainable. So we're at that tipping point. We've been there for a while. We feel the pressure. Um, you know, from a bottom line perspective, companies are seeing the financial impact of ignoring the holistic nature of employing another human being. That's the that's the kind of the nut of it, isn't it? That that by creating these systems and and a culture of support systems, we can, by and large, make work better for more people more of the time. Not only that, but if you have employees who are healthy mentally and physically, you're going to get your best work from them, the best quality of work. So if you're saying, check your mental health at the door, we don't care about that. We don't want to talk about that. You know, it is going to, personal life is going to leak over and bleed into your professional life. Um, So by supporting them, not only doing the right thing in creating a culture Mm -hmm. where that's um, acceptable and what people want, but you know, overall productivity and job performance is going to be better. Well, okay. So Jillian, since you uh, broke the seal on that particular uh, subject, how do you, uh, how does it manifest? That may, maybe we just take AIM uh, as a, as a uh, fair to say, a role model example. How does, uh, what is the culture of mental health awareness and these support systems look like for you? Personally, I could say that it really, a lot of it has to do with my relationship with my manager. Um, There's the safe space mentality that I can go to her and really feel like I could say anything um, and it would be reciprocated and we could work on a solution. Mm -hmm. So I really think that communication is a really, really big piece of that. Um, Jen, I don't know if you have any experiences related to AIM that you could well, I, I have one back to you, Jilly, before we transition, before you, sure. you throw that that particular hot potato, uh, Jen, uh, <laughs> I you you have a, a cultivated a, a uh, you know, from my perspective, uh, a rigorous um, work schedule. And you are so beautiful. I talk about you at dinner uh, as someone who when Jillian is not working, Jillian's not working like J- Jillian just feels gone to me on non-work days and so because you don't work a full uh five-day week right is and uh, that that's a work-life balance family necessity uh situation yeah no that's a uh, great point so about i was just talking to my husband about this about my son's almost 10 um eight years ago i went Mm part-time and i was full-time and i was working for a company that um when i was on vacation week i was being pinged by the CEO. And I I was really stressed out. It was getting to a place where I felt like, can I even work anymore? Does this make sense? Yeah, not just for these people, but at all. Right, right. Like, do I want to work anymore? Am I in the right field? Is marketing right for me? You know, you start to question your own sense of value. Identity, yeah. Yeah. And so I really, really struggled with it. And um, 
Then I decided, my husband sat down with me and we both decided that part-time would be a really great solution for me, but there wasn't a lot of part-time options out there. And so I ended up at one company that they were very good, but it wasn't like AIM. Um, and then I saw AIM's role and I applied and you know I came in with a part-time schedule. And they have always been so fabulous about uh, working with me especially during the pandemic when I had multiple, you know, the kids home and remote yeah. school and all that um, fun times. Uh, it, there was a lot of flexibility there. And so I like to think that because there is that flexibility, I bring myself, you know, 100% of myself to work when I'm here mm-hmm. on my days that I'm on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I like doing that. And I'm okay with that. Because I know that on Thursday or Friday, my managers made it clear to people, Jillian's off, don't expect her to respond. And I do here and there. Um, but it's because I want to, you know, mm-hmm. um, this, should, this really has to do with the relationship of the people that you work with and setting the groundwork for what's OK and what's not OK. Well, I, I think that's such a great example of of the uh, of to kind of anchor that work life experience that you were stressed at work and contemplating no longer like contributing as a productive man, uh, a member of the public economy. And you found this this organization that already had the mechanism built in to support you and allow you to do your best work. The funny thing is, too, is when I told my manager that I was leaving to go part time, she said to me, well, why didn't you just talk to me about it? We could have worked something out. And to this day, I still am very fond of my manager there. But I think that that also helped me in growing in the future and that I needed to have that openness with my yeah. managers so that I didn't put myself in that situation again, because she was right. right. Why didn't I just approach her about it? It might have not happened, but it at least could have been a conversation. So this is a great uh, a tr- a segue for you, Jen, that I, I think it's really interesting that we have an organization that even if it had a self-image that we're, we have a culture that these things are OK to talk about, we're all organizations are made up of complex human organisms and we're learning all the time. So Jillian at the time sounds like didn't know that this was an okay thing or hadn't internalized that this was an okay conversation to have. And as a result, ended up in a new place to our, all of our great benefit. Uh, But I'm curious how you approach client conversations or member conversations about how do we build out a culture when we're facing so many things that we've never faced before? These are the famous unknown unknowns. <laughs> I love that. The unknown unknowns. Yes. You know, I, I'm not a member of the hotline team, but I have talked to Terry, who heads that up and has been on the podcast quite a bit. And she does get questions about this. And the the big theme that I recommend, because I'm our wellness expert internally within the learning development department is that you have to know what the legal parameters are and you have to have a clear stance on what wellness, well-being, mental health, emotional health is and put a policy in place that hits right from an employee's start date. There's no proving oneself to earn anything. There's no determining what mental health for one person looks like versus another person. It needs to be applicable across time and space. And knowing that that's in place for, you know, possible people that want to work there, that's a a, a benefit a part of the compensation package, if you can communicate those things to attract like ideal team members, I think that's only going to be the way of the future. 
How so? At what point do do teams? So if it's a compensation benefit, it sounds like you're suggesting that this conversation happens at time of hire. Mm. Absolutely. Right? So what are the what are the tools that you put in place to actually talk about this effectively? It, it depends on the company. Um, I, I know there's a couple of other companies here in the state of Massachusetts that leverage um, third party software and companies that provide mental health resources mm-hmm. um, that include, say, 12 therapy sessions for, per year. And as somebody who has looked into getting a therapist many different times over the course of my life for various things, therapy is not a low investment item. It's easily a multiple hundred dollar per hour kind of investment. So to have a company offering to put that into its comp package um, is really I think a high value. And that's separate from like an FSA or an HSA. These same companies also offer coaching. So yes, we offer coaching and I offer coaching myself individually as part of our executive coaching team. So I I am a little partial, but there are services out there that provide these support systems um, to holistically look at what a person needs to excel. I think this is fascinating. I would just lob this tidbit to people who have who work at organizations that have built in uh, coaching and therapy services built into their their health uh, plan that often I, I don't know if you've tried to find a therapist of late. It's really hard it to do right now. This is it a is. constrained resource. And often the agreements that your organization has in place with third party providers will allow you to get therapy much more quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so that's just something to consider if you haven't looked into it and you need it, uh, please look into your your organization's plan. You might have it already and not know it. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, Dean. I had a family member who was just trying to get um, counseling for her son, mm-hmm. a teenager, and you'd think with every conversation that's out there about mental health post pandemic, especially and young children and what yeah. this pandemic did to them, it was so hard to find something in. She was able to find something, but it was months later and it was telehealth. Mm-hmm. It was something. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's good. But when you're talking about mental health, you know, sometimes time can be really precious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two months seems like forever to you. Yeah, you're looking at when when looking for a provider, you have to look at do do they take clients? Are they taking clients right now? If they are, are they taking your insurance? More and more of them are not taking insurance. They're going self-pay and then we'll Mm -hmm. issue you a super bill that you can submit later. Uh, And then do they provide a modality that supports what your goals are in therapy? Like it's, it's very challenging. So, you know, having these things, I think, is going to be a continued benefit of where someone would choose to work. Uh, let's look at some of the practical sort of symptoms, organizational symptoms that people are in need. How do you identify red flags in the organization from an HR perspective that mm. indicates you might you might need to push forward some of your health and safety, mental health and safety initiatives? I can weigh in on that a little bit while Jen researched. So I think you also want to look for people who maybe that were really interested in work all of a mm-hmm. sudden become withdrawn. You know, okay. I think that's disinterest in work. We talk about quiet quitting. I think boundaries are different than totally, you know, withdrawn. Yeah. Um, 
So unexplained abstinences and tardiness, things but, like that as Jillian, well. Jillian, I, I just have to think like the, uh, this, the, the responsibility, sort of the locus of responsibility for identifying these red flags, like that sort of lethargy at work, the quiet quitting is like that's something that seems so wildly out of control of HR and so perfectly in the basket of responsibilities of individual like line or, or department managers and as if they don't have enough to do already. You know, that again goes back to culture when you're promoting somebody to management. How are we training them to be on the lookout for these things, too? Yeah, I was going to say without training and all leaders in your organization having that training too, not just cherry picking certain people, right? It needs mm -hmm. to be every manager so they every employee has at least the chance to have a similar experience. Um, they need to be trained. And I know Jen can talk a little bit more about training and what EMHR yeah. offers in relation to that too. The other piece of what Jillian's talking about that people don't recognize is individuals with high functioning depression. Mm -hmm. So people that look on the surface like they've got it all together, they're getting their stuff done on time, they're your peak performers. And then when they are not there, they just completely mentally check out. They disassociate, mm -hmm. they have no energy for anything else. They're basically giving every bit of energy and wellness that they do have to the job and everything else just goes you know, away. Their social life doesn't exist. Their diet and sleep does not uh, get prioritized. But they wouldn't share those things because that's not something you talk about at work. Mm -hmm. um, so it can be hard sometimes to recognize who might need help, which is why I think making it a blanket educational thing like Jillian saying, so that people can not only rely on the company to have some responsibility to show up, but it's an individual's responsibility too. But if we don't educate, if we don't provide those training resources to help people self-identify when stress gets to a point that's affecting their mental health, when they aren't able to take care of themselves outside of work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's other areas of life that when things start showing up at work, that's indicative of it's already affected everywhere else. The The workplace is the final frontier, so to speak. Right, right. Compartmentalized masking, right? Mm. Like that's the... Love that, that phrase. It, 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 I'll tell you, I work uh, extensively with the ADHD community, adult ADHD community mm. and people living on the, the spectrum of ADHD and anxiety. And I think there is there is so much there where we we see people who have to mask certain parts of their lives just to get through the day but mm. at the end of the day the exhaustion is such that there's there is like there's no ability to um to take care of the things the self-care let alone mental health self-care we're talking about just like as you say sleep diet exercise like what are the things that we know contribute to mental health positive mental health and outlook not able to do any of that because it takes so much work to to work. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the things that I, I think was you, you both have, have said, just promoting that you have these benefits, doing that internal marketing sends a really good signal that this is the kind of culture 
that that you know you work in, right? That this is a culture where you don't have to be afraid. We're not afraid to tell you these services exist, and we're telling you loud and proud. It's in every bathroom. It's on every wall, and so you don't have to be afraid to make use of them, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. That feels like step one. Step two is how you address the actual practical application of these things. How do you handle vacation days, sick days, mental health days? What do those look like? And and how do you build a policy? So I'll throw it back to you guys, um, you know, as we get close to wrapping up here. Uh, ideas on on crafting the practical application of, of you know, work-life balance in your organization in a way that helps you create a safe space for folks. The, the question is a, is a big one, and I want to touch on a couple of key things. You are establishing a culture of wellness, well-being, and, and valuing those things. And values are rooted in behavior. So you have to have actionable elements that can be behaviorally, behaviorally witnessed. So if you're designing something like a time-off structure that consists of uh, paid time off, sick time, as well as, you know, vacation days that are, you know, annual holidays for for the country and state that you live in. You need to know what legally is is permissible for, for where you live and for where the company is based off of, based out of. And from that place, deciding like, what what do we want? What what is the marketplace telling us other people want? What are the trends and building something in place? I've worked for companies that have an unlimited PTO policy with a required minimum of X amount of days used per year. And it's the supervisor's responsibility to enforce that that minimum gets met. And that's used for sick time, that's used for vacation, that's used for whatever is needed by the individual. So if somebody doesn't really like to take a lot of vacations, but they need a lot of mental health days, they might use the same amount as somebody else that says, I like to take a lot of vacations, but my mental health is fine. But there's no need to disclose. So if you're wanting to keep anonymity, privacy uh, front of mind, having a policy like that might be valuable. If that's not as much of a priority or a value, then having different buckets of time for each type of thing is mm. is another approach to go. It seems like that unlimited PTO time uh, plan gets you, from an HR perspective, uh, eliminates possible conflict and, and put, putting you in an uncomfortable space when you don't have to ask the questions, right? You just take the time you need. I'm curious, do we have data that shows, I, I think what I'm what I'm getting to is I have worked for some more conservative uh, managers in the past, and they uh, push for conservative buckets mm-hmm. of time. And the fear was that with this, with a more lenient uh, policy that let's just say going all the way to unlimited PTO, mm-hmm. that people would just not work enough. And I'm curious is it harder to get people to work with an unlimited PTO time or harder to get people to take time off that they need to take off? I don't have any, you know, data points or anything like that to point to, but I would say it by having an unlimited vacation policy, you are putting in a a trust factor with your employees, Mm -hmm. right? So you're trusting in them that they're going to do the right thing and not, not work or take you know, months off. Egregious um, I think, abuse. Yeah, of a, and I think of a kind from what I have seen, 
at companies that have unlimited vacation time. I think we talked about this in one of the podcasts, Pete. It's still a very average amount of time that people are taking off, right. three weeks or something. So, But I do think it goes back to trusting your employees. Like if you really think that all your employees are just going to take a wild amount of time off, are you got a right bigger people? problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You got a bigger problem. I, you don't I, trust your people. That's my hunch. I have heard more often, I have a great policy and I have too much to do. I can't take time off. Mm-hmm. Like those two things go together more than, hey, uh, I have a great policy. Let's play video games all day. Yes. Right? Like I just don't hear that that uh, that often. So I'm, I, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that, you know, your mileage may vary broadly, but I, I do think that there are some real benefits to consider. I, I like what so. both of you are saying. I, I know Jillian and I both do a lot of research out in the marketplace and see mm-hmm. what's going on in the in the zeitgeist. And I see a lot of um, videos either on YouTube or on TikTok talking about this from a different point of view. Imagining you won uh, the lottery and didn't have to work, yeah. right? Or if there was uh, some some other funding of of money so that you were not reliant upon job X to provide. A, X amount of dollars to live. The belief is, well, then no one's going to want to work. The same like fear is there, that distrust. But what they've found is people then begin to pursue things that are exciting to them, that are meaningful to them, that motivate them. So people want to contribute. People want to be helpful. People want to matter and to be part of something bigger than themselves. So to dismiss and think that it's as simple as, well, people just don't want to. I think Jillian hit it right on the head, that nail. There's there's bigger fish to fry. There's yeah. bigger concerns. Well, this is a great conversation. Obviously, as you both have said at some point or another, this is a very big conversation, but it is worth continuing to put this under the microscope and, and uh, uh, you know, make sure your people are feeling taken care of. Help them stay happy, healthy, and contributing. Uh, thank you both very, very much, uh, Jen Moff, Jillian Derby. Uh, you're the best. And we also have a whole bunch of links in the show notes. So swipe up in your show notes to make sure you can see those. We've, we're talking about managing stress and heading off burnout from our own podcast. And we've got some other resources on developing mindful leaders and unlocking well-being in the workplace. Uh, on behalf of, of Jillian and Jen, I'm Pete Wright. Thank you so, so much for continuing to subscribe and download this show. We appreciate your time and your attention. Until next week, we'll see you next time on on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR.